0: Welcome to the Shifting Our Schools podcast, where we believe learning never stops. We create innovative and flexible professional development opportunities that support the current research and thinking in education today. This week's podcast episode aspires to set you up to take another step forward on your personal learning journey. Now
1: here's your host, Jeff Udick.
2: Well, welcome back to another episode of Shifting Our Schools. I'm your host, Jeff Udick. We've got a great episode for you this week as we talk all about project-based learning with a panel of passionate project-based learning leaders and learners. But before we dig in, we're excited that this episode is brought to you by our sponsor, TRACT. If you haven't heard of them and you are passionate about project-based learning, you're going to want to head on over to TRACT.app. That's T-R-A-C-T dot A-P-P. TRACT is where the next generation of change-makers and leaders come to solve the world's biggest challenges. You'll hear us talk in this episode about one of the key aspects that makes project-based learning different from doing projects in the classroom. And that is, students must have an authentic audience. And that is TRACT's focus. I had a conversation with Ari, the founder of TRACT, and what I love about what TRACT is doing for project-based learning is that they are truly student-centered, And they see the enormous potential for creativity and activism that we know our students have. I have a number of young people in my life who are pretty passionate about the idea of producing content for YouTube. And anyone who has been to one of my trainings knows I believe that every senior should graduate with a YouTube channel. I mention this because TRACT has an amazing free lesson on just that. Let me quote their website here to give you a sense of how TRACT can help you leverage that passion for content creation in your classroom with their free lesson called Empowering Aspiring YouTubers and Creators. Deepening curriculum comprehension through our seven-step hands-on educational experience that gives aspiring creators, innovators, and changemakers the resources and support they need to inspire the next generation through creating a class on TRACT. You can find that lesson at slash resources. I've included that link in the show notes for you. You can learn more and set up your classroom free forever when you sign up for Tract in 2021. All you need to do is go to teach.tract.app, that's T E A C H dot T R A C T dot app, and put in the code shifting schools. It's all one word. Just type in Shifting Schools in the code area and that will get you a free classroom forever when you sign up in 2021. Thank you again to Ari and the track team for being a sponsor of Shifting Schools and we're excited to hear how you use it in your classroom. All right, let's get to it. Today we have an amazing panel of educators discussing project-based learning. They'll be introducing themselves in just a moment and before we get started with that conversation, I want to reflect for a moment on the power of conversation as a resource. Some of the best professional development I've ever been a part of is simply listening to what educators have to share. If you would like to create your own project-based learning panel, and I think you might be inspired to do that after you hear from our panels today, good news. You can find the questions we use on this episode with some amazing project-based learning resources inside our free guide, Unpacking PBL. As always, our free guides are available at shiftingschools.com under our resource tab. And with that, on with the show. All right, welcome to our panel on project-based learning. I'm so excited uh, to be joined with Jeff, Megan, James, and of course, Trisha. Trisha, always great to see you. Always great to uh, see you, Jeff. I mean, well, I say that when I mean, we just spent the last hour together, so, you know, it's just always the way it's still way good it, to see you, Jeff. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. Uh, Tricia, just a real quick, where are you from? What are you up to these days?
3: I'm originally from New Jersey listeners. Please don't hold that against me. Um, I am currently based in, um, uh, in British Columbia, Canada. My wife is Canadian. That's why, um, they allow me to be over here. I'm on Gabriola Island, which is a tiny Island off of Vancouver Island. Um, not too far from where you're at though, Jeff.
2: Awesome. Excellent. Uh, and Jeff, thanks for joining us today. Give us a little background about yeah. where, where you're coming from and what are you into these days?
4: Well, I'm I am in Portland, Oregon, and I am a retired classroom teacher. I was uh, I taught everything from K to sixth grade for wow. 52 years, and um, the last probably 15 years of that career, I was also uh, consulting on a curriculum methodology project-based learning called Storyline that was developed in Scotland in the late 60s. And when I retired, I Sort of expanded that, and I'm doing quite a bit of uh, training in, in that methodology.
2: Awesome. Very cool. I'm excited to kind of dig into that today. Hi, Megan. Good to have you here.
5: Hello. Hi. Um, I'm Megan Vosk. Uh, actually, I'm from Long Island, so maybe I should hold the New Jersey part against <laughs> Trisha because... <laughs> On Long Island, we always kind of uh, making uh, little comments about New Jersey, but I love New Jersey and I love Long Island too. And I'm actually right now I'm in New Delhi, India, and I teach grade seven EAL. And I've got a background in social studies and I'm working at an international school.
2: Very cool. Thank you. And James, thanks for joining us today.
5: Thanks for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Um,
0: My name is James Fester. I'm an educational consultant and author, uh, originally from California, where I worked in public schools for about a decade, and then uh, married a Minnesotan, moved out to St. Paul, and now I'm working, um, uh, continuing my work as a a consultant with an organization called PBL Works, and really lucky to be working with them um, along with doing some of my own work as well.
2: Awesome. I love PBL Works. If anybody is into project-based learning, I'm sure you've heard of, of PBL Works. Uh, do great stuff over there. James, thank you for being here. Appreciate it uh, and getting into these conversations. So yeah, we're today's episode is all about project-based learning uh, and just where it's at, where it's headed, uh, what are some things that we need to be thinking about as we bring project-based learning into our schools, into our districts, uh, and just kind of where we're at with it, and so uh, we've got a couple questions that we would, thought we would we would throw in here and just have some uh, discussion around. And so, Jeff, we're going to start with with you on this one. Um, when you talk about project based learning, and when you're starting to set this up uh, in in a classroom or in a school, uh, you talked about the methodology. What are some of those non negotiables that you think must be like in the project in order to make it successful?
4: Yeah, that's a, I think that's an interesting question because I think project-based learning is a really big umbrella. Right. And I think there's lots of smaller umbrellas underneath that. One of the things that I think is really non-negotiable is that for a project to be successful, it has to be owned by the teacher, which means the teacher has to design it. Mm. So I don't think that you can download a lesson plan from the web and take it in front of your students and call it project-based learning. So a lot of project-based learning for me is around, first of all, teacher design. Teachers have to design it. Teachers have to know where it's going. Teachers have to understand the outcomes that they're looking for. And um, they have to to be excited and passionate about it Mm, because kids are going to read a teacher's affect before they ever listen to any of their words. So, you know, it takes an impassioned teacher who's really committed and has designed something that they're excited about. So for me, that's a non-negotiable. The second thing is um, that I feel like it has to be uh, embedded in um, story because story is a language that all human beings can access. And all human beings understand. And stories is how we make sense of the world. So if I design a project within the context of a story, kids know where it's going. They understand that there's characters involved, that there's a setting, that there are things that are going to happen in that setting. And um, there may be problems that have to be solved. And so there's a buy-in on the part of students that is not dependent on their socioeconomic background or their racial background or their cultural background, because story is a universal language that we all understand. So for me, project-based learning has to be embedded in story. And um, I think probably the last thing that I would say is just that it has to allow for significant student decision-making, that the kids have to be making real decisions that have an impact on the learning so that they buy in on a personal level. Mm-hmm. And it's not just that they're doing it because the teacher says, this is what we're doing today. Mm-hmm. So all of those things put together, I think are, would be my non-negotiables. Yeah.
2: I love that. Like I, I love your, your first point there is something that I'm constantly going on with. It's this idea that, and I, I think not only do we see this in, in project-based learning, but we're seeing this coming out of, the pandemic as well is really like teachers as instructional designers. Like yeah. we've got to get to a place where we are designing the instruction. That's our job. You know, right. we have 25, 30, 35 kids, five kids, whatever you have in front of you, you know, those kids, and there's nothing I agree with you. I don't think there's anything you can take off of the internet, throw in front of your kids without having to really think about the instructional design that goes behind it Right. because you, you know, your kids. And so we have to become really good instructional designers for that. James, did you want to add anything?
0: Yeah, I, I love a lot of what Jeff said. Uh, and one of the things that struck me was when he emphasized engagement. And for him, uh, the idea of story as a, as a tool for engagement, um, I really liked that. I love that he lifted that up. One thing that I think kind of goes along with that is that the, the, the student's learning has to take the form of something that matters outside of the classroom. There has to be a demonstration of understanding that is is either in a real-world context or results in a real-world process or product. I think that's really essential. We want the learning to matter outside the walls of the classroom because for some students, knowing that their work is going to – their expertise is going to have an impact either – Solving a problem, fulfilling a need uh, in their community in, in a best case scenario, but like is helping someone else out in some way that can be a very powerful um, a very powerful uh, engagement tool for them as well. You know, for students that if the grade isn't really what gets them going, if it's not love of the subject matter, being able to empathize, engage with, and really uh, know that they're making a difference, I think, can be for some kids the magic thing that that gets them going as well. And so, I would definitely say authenticity and mm-hmm. and uh, as a, as a tool for student engagement, I think, is 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 very essential.
3: You know, James, uh, what you said there reminds me of a piece of research I came across, and I'll do my best to track it down, Jeff, so that uh, maybe we can leave it in the show notes, that talks about, in terms of our motivation when working on problems, that uh, we are intrinsically far more motivated to help others than we are to help ourselves, mm-hmm. um, which is which is really interesting, uh, and and kind of relates to that notion of this needs to matter, and it needs to matter beyond, um, you know, what could be, uh, you know, I think touching on Jeff what you said earlier too, this notion of pretend learning or fake decision making that mm-hmm. um, you know can sometimes be presented to students that. It, it has no authenticity, and students, uh, you know, and, and I want to say, students of all ages, they understand that, you know, you cannot fake um, a, a project, or you cannot fake making a difference for folks, and I, and I just sort of think, also, why, why would you fake it when we do have so many. Um, authentic opportunities to really see our students as change makers rather than pretend agents of pretend change. Yeah. And and to
2: Jeff's point, you know, when we got started, like the kids see through it. I mean, if you set up a fake project, the kids, it doesn't take them long. You're not pulling the wool over anybody's eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Megan.
5: Yeah, that was just reminding me. um, I worked with the social studies teacher at my school to create a Um, it was a project-based learning opportunity for the grade seven social studies students where they made, um, they made picture books on book creator about issues related to identity. And all of the books had um, a big theme or a message about like, you should love yourself or, um, you know, just themes around inclusion and the students presented them to the grade three students. And so there was a whole partnership with elementary kids and they had an authentic audience that they were preparing for. And they worked on like creating a script and how are they going to introduce it? And how are they going to make sure that the students got the theme? And they were really, really conscious about like the audience and like, who were they designing the picture book for? And you could just see them kind of really thinking about, okay, like is the grade three student going to understand this? If they're not going to understand this, how can I kind of um, change it a little bit? And how can I use the text and the pictures together to kind of make this story like Jeff was talking about, right? It was like a beautiful story book when they're trying to convey this kind of um, bigger concept, but it just was a nice example that reminded me of what you were all talking about.
2: Yeah. I love that. And I think there's two things that, that I'm thinking about as we kind of um, talk about this and Jeff, I'll let you have the the final word here before we move on. Um, but there's two things that come to mind. One, that idea of, you know, a lot of times when I'm in trainings with teachers and we're doing project-based learning and we talk about an authentic audience, sometimes I think we overthink that you know, we're, we're thinking like, oh, my kids have to produce a YouTube video that's got to be public. No, you can you can have your eighth graders producing something for third graders and that's still authentic. Like authentic audiences are already in many cases built into our schools. Like we can, we don't, I mean, yes. Is it great that you publish something on YouTube? Yeah, 100%. If you can do that and that's, that's your audience, fantastic. But it doesn't have to be. There's authentic audiences all around us. And I love what James brings up. And, you know, one of the things we're seeing right now uh, in education is this work about around inclusion, around equity. And one of the things James you brought up was that idea of empathy. Project-based learning is a great way because when you are creating projects, you have to empathize with your audience, right You have to understand what what whoever you're making the product for, you have to understand what what it is that they need. so you have to empathize with them in order to create that product. When we talk about authentic authentic learning, yeah Jeff,
4: yeah i i I love hearing what everybody else said because I feel like it just expanded what I was saying and and I agree with it all. The one other thing that I would like to raise up is I think that I have experienced this focus on having um a real world um, outcome perhaps mm. that that can it had i have seen that turn the word imagination into a dirty word so that if what you're doing in the classroom is imaginative somehow it's not valuable Mm -hmm. and yet i think imagination is the basis of all learning and so just a quick example we did a storyline on the circus and the kids designed a circus um, around all of their acts had to involve simple machines and they did this whole circus, which they did for the whole school community. They had this real audience they had to do it for, and we filmed it. And then the video of it was shared with pen pals that they had in Africa. And they raised money to build a well and latrines for the school in Africa. And the kids in Africa did a video for them of their, dances and their songs that they did in school. So we had this totally imaginative storyline, Yeah, but it had a real world connection.
2: Mm, I love that. I love that. It's so good. And I mean, there's so many, I mean, I know, I, I know all of us could go on and on telling stories of the amazing projects <laughs> that we've seen. And we're going to, I'm sure everybody will keep sharing as we go through this, but this, but that's the cool part about like, for me, project-based learning, right. If, when it's done right, And it's authentic. You get these incredible connections. You get these stories that come out of learning and they're the stories that kids remember, you know, it's, it's stories like back to your point, Jeff, it is stories that we remember from our, from our schooling. Like we all have the stories uh, that we tell about our time in school. Right. And one of the things that, you know, comes up a lot is, you know, trying to bring project-based learning into a classroom or into our school. There's usually a lot of obstacles to overcome. And so Megan, this next question is for you. What are some of those essential obstacles to be aware of? Like as you've done this with your schools and in your different classes, what are some of those speed bumps or obstacles along the way that you find that, that, that we have to really consider when we're bringing this in?
5: Um, I think the biggest obstacle from a teacher point of view is that um, sometimes we assume that the students know how to um, accomplish big scale projects and that students know how to work collaboratively and that those skills actually need to be explicitly taught. So like, um, and oftentimes when students are doing project-based learning, they're working in groups. So if I just like throw three students together in a group and tell them, okay, like now do this project, like, uh, they might be a little confused. And, um, especially with middle school students, you know, they really are very peer motivated and sometimes they're with they want to work with their friends and they don't understand how to work with someone that's not my best friend. So trying to help them kind of understand um, that your teammate, like what's your role in the team and how can you be a contributing member, I think is um, is, is something that teachers need to think about and kind of be ready for and be more um, intentional about how we help students build those collaborative skills. And then, of course, the issue of the student maybe who um, doesn't contribute as much to the project group as they, they ought to. Um, and I think just teachers us remembering maybe that we should probably not uh, give group grades or assess students as a group and that every student needs to be assessed on their individual contribution and that the students also need to be a part of co-creating the assessment criteria and thinking about what they need to do to, um, to be successful in, on the, in the project and giving them kind of that long view. And then also I think there's some obstacles related to um, project management. And helping students figure out what are the different pieces of the project, and teachers remembering not just to give students then like, oh, like I'm going to do a project that it's going to be easy because I'm not going to do anything for three weeks, and the students are just going to do the project. No, like we need to kind of be more clear about structuring also, like the different check-in points and what students need to do along the way, so that they can um, make a piece of quality.
2: Man. So I'm just writing down, I was just had to write down some things there because it's so good what you were talking about. And I love this because, you know, there's this massive focus and I think there is even more coming out of the pandemic around this idea of lifelong learning, right? What are some of those lifelong learning skills? And when we're talking about project-based learning, one of the first things that I love to point out is like our lives outside of school, like life itself runs in projects, like whether you're you're doing a project around your house or you're doing a project to go to the grocery store is a project. Like you've got to make a list. You've got to figure out like there's our lives work this way. And so by by using project-based learning approaches in our classroom, we're actually talking about these life skills that kids are going to need. And then you break down, there's the skill of collaboration that has to be taught. There's the skill of project management that has to be taught. Like people have their entire career is called being a project manager. Like these are life skills that are gonna get you a job someday, right? And then the idea of feedback. I love this idea of like co-creating what it means to be successful. Cause I even think about like the projects in my life, right? Like we just got done doing a major renovation on our house and I got feedback both internally and externally based on the project that I was doing. For example, I was rewiring a light and i had intrinsic feedback either it worked or it didn't and i got int- extrinsic feedback from my wife saying that's not the way i want it to look right so there's there's intrinsic and extrinsic and extrinsic feedback that you get and we build those into our projects that that's part of the feedback loop part of the assessment if you will needs to be both it needs to be me reflecting on my work and as a teacher or group or is our project successful? Did our video raise enough money to help build a well in Africa is an assessment piece, right? Like did we accomplish our goal? And I think it's really, it's so good when you start breaking down what project-based learning is, there's all these life skills that are built into it that it's just so essential to do. Tricia?
3: Well, you know, I think it it comes back to our conversation earlier around authenticity though. You know, Megan the picture that you were painting, as educators, we can't pretend that all of our students get along perfectly or that as you were saying, they have these preloaded kind of competencies around all of the different social pieces Navigating conflict, our you know our students and and often even adults on campus too don't come front loaded with all of these capacities. We need to continually work on refining them. Um, and one of the the free guides that we have in the Shifting Schools Resource Library is called um, Collaboration Recalibration, and it's all of these scenarios, right? And it taps back into Jeff what you were saying about story. Um, Every learner has been inside of that story where they're partnered or they're teamed with either somebody who does not like them or they do not like. Let's not just leave students to deal with that and not give them some support. Um, and, and that guide kind of looks at what if we take that as a three-dimensional case study. And we actually, let's role play it before the difficult thing happens. um, Let's engage one another in that dynamic of when the bad thing happens, what do we do? Mm. Um, And I think that authenticity is so important that we don't pretend that projects are fun for everyone. There are plenty of learners and there are plenty of adult learners who do not like being grouped with others. Now, is it a reality that in life we will be grouped with others? It is. So let's look at actually creating kind of some steps of what do you do in that situation rather than, oh, you know, I'm just going to create this group and they'll work it out on their own. Um, I don't think I have ever seen them just work it out on their own. That's usually not the way that that story plays out in my experience.
2: Or going over to the kid and saying, I know you don't like them, but you have to work with them anyway. Right. That's not giving kids any strategies to how to work with them. Right. James, you wanted to add something?
0: <laughs> I'd love to. And and Trisha, I love what you shared because, uh, one of the things that, that uh, I continually think about in the work that I do with teachers is exactly the story you're talking about, where there are a lot of adults that have hangups about project work because they had experiences that were not project-based learning, that were not facilitated by the teacher, that basically they were thrown in the pool without being taught how to swim. I mean, we know what's going to happen yep. if we do that to our students. And my wife was actually one of those kids who was the one that got stuck in the groups that all the other kids knew she was going to do all the work. And so that expectation was met every single time she was grouped. And her teacher um, just for, made, a, made kind of a, a bad call by thinking, oh, well, they'll figure it out. They have to figure it out on their own. But it, it really is and it's something that leads into one of the um, obstacles that I see in a lot of teachers is that it, it is misjudging. What it takes to shift from a more traditional model to something that's more project based. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to throw everything out. And I think that's a big misconception. A lot of teachers are hesitant to take that plunge because, number one, like we just talked about, they had a bad experience when it came to projects themselves, or they have a misunderstanding of the difference between PBL and just doing a project. Right. Or two, they think they're going to have to reinvent the wheel, um, which I always push back against because I think that once you look at a really high quality framework, and unsurprisingly, I'm going to point to the Buck Institute's gold standard uh, model as one a, a one of, of, of a bunch that are out there that are very good. Um, if you look at that model of what PBL is, it's just good teaching. And it's going to affirm more of what you are doing right now than ask you, to uh, rewrite everything you've done. And so I think that's one big thing that I see that's kind of on the teacher and is that they don't want to take the plunge because they're afraid, I'm going to have to just relearn everything, everything I'm, I'm going to be told if I go to this training that everything that I'm doing is wrong. And it's not about what's wrong. It's about what's missing and the opportunities that you have to extend what you're already doing. We want to make the good better. And mm-hmm. that's really what I see PBL doing for the vast majority of teachers that I work with is... It really just takes what you're doing and it, it, it amplifies the good that's already in your room uh, and really helps empower your students and get much, much better results in a lot of different ways, um, like the ones we've kind of talked about already.
2: Mm, I love that. Yeah, Jeff.
4: Yeah, I, I, I really agree with what you're saying, James. And I think that um, one of the things that I have seen over the years of doing our trainings, which is I've been doing these trainings for about 30 years now is that when we started, teachers understood how to design curriculum because back in the day, that was expected of teachers. And now I get teachers who say, what do you mean design curriculum? I'm told what page to be on at what time and what I'm supposed to be saying, and they're checking on it to make sure I'm doing that. So we've had to change our courses dramatically to scaffold things for teachers that we didn't have to scaffold back 30 years ago. And um, the thing that, the thing that I really think is so important is that we make so many assumptions about what kids can and cannot do Mm -hmm. without ever asking them. (laughs) And it's the same thing with curriculum. We start out oftentimes with these when when we're using canned curriculums we start out assuming that children are blank slates mm-hmm. and that it's our job to fill that slate and it's such a it's such a disservice to the children yeah. we never say to them what do you know about mm-hmm. and a storyline always begins with a big question so like when we did the circus the first thing i asked them was what's a circus and i had a big chart paper and i wrote down everything they said with their name next to it. So suddenly we have this huge collective body of knowledge that we can begin to work with and every kid in that room who had something to say feels like they're a part of that conversation. Yeah, I love that. I love
2: that. I'm glad I'm the only one that that is struggling sometimes with this idea of moving to being instructional designers right we're we're, to your point i think we're coming out of this era we are coming out of an era where we were content deliverers to instructional designers um and it's very it's been a very interesting transition as you said like yeah i think we were taught in pre-service programs years ago how to design instruction and then you know and there's a lot of reasons for that that I don't want to get into here, but there's a reason why we went into that that mode, and I think we're coming out of that. And that's where I think you know project-based learning is coming back. It's coming back full force. It's coming back very quickly, um, back into the. But it's going to mean that we become instructional designers and that we're asking kids questions and we're using their experiences in our classrooms as well. I do before we go on, um, I do want to talk about the big, the big elephant in the room when we talk about obstacles that I'm constantly getting pushed back on and I'd love to hear how you guys maybe help teachers with this. And it's this, Jeff, I'd love to do a big project like that, but it takes way too much time. (laughs) I just don't have the time, Jeff, to do the projects. I just don't know what's going to go. James, let's start with you. What do you say?
0: Um, First of all, it's a very, uh, a very, legitimate and common concern. Like, let's start with that. It's it's definitely something that teachers are aware of. They have a lot to cover. There's never enough time to cover it all, um, especially with a lot of the disruptions that they're dealing with right now. I would never, ever fault a teacher for saying, I just don't think I have the time for it. So here's what I would say to them. The first thing I would say is that not all standards or not all of your learning goals are ready to be project project-based experiences. There are some that you just, that don't lend themselves to the exploration, the inquiry-rich processes, letting students really think about what do I know, what do I need to know, looking for those answers, like, you know, kind of like Jeff was saying, like going out and figuring out what the heck is a circus and really spending the time doing that. I think that's the first thing I would say is just, you know, not all of them have to be PBL projects. For some, some places, they're able to do wall-to-wall PBL. I don't necessarily think that's something that you need to do. Um, there are ways to do that by bundling standards together. But the second thing that I would say is that you already have units of study that are multi-week units of study. Most people plan that way. That's a very common thing. If you have three and a half weeks to teach geometry, to teach perimeter, area, volume, let's sit down and let's map out a project that's three and a half weeks that covers those standards. I think that's a good way to start and a good invitation to beginning to help somebody kind of get past this idea of, I don't have enough time. It's like, no, you do. You've already mapped it out let's see where the big chunks of time are and let's look for opportunities to really build on what you've already done that's what i would probably say if um if somebody asked me like came to me with that concern
2: mm. yeah May, i just Megan, i need to or, I'm, Trisha, I'm, go ahead. Oh,
3: sorry i'm just going okay. to jump onto like the the back of what you said there james because i think it's also it's a, such a smart approach because it also realizes the way that you invest time has the potential to save time, and mm-hmm. projects are more engaging. So I also think you know, when you're looking at that unit that's X number of weeks long, when it is done in this model, my experience has been students are more motivated, they're more engaged, they're more interested, and I'm not finding myself having to you know necessarily go back to concepts or go back to certain things because they were really into it when it was delivered in that system so uh, it, you know and, and again I know that comes with experience with Pbl but I, I do find that's maybe something to suggest as well as thinking about the way that engagement can be a time saver or mm. looking at um not just efficiency but effectiveness of of what is actually, what's happening with the learning.
2: Yeah. And I was a fourth grade teacher and I, I just like, you know, one of the things that I always noticed when I did a project-based learning was that my classroom management went way down, like disruptions in the class. So your idea of like, you actually save time because you're not sitting there, like sit down, don't look over here. Don't pay. T- that, uh, that. Like the kids are so engaged that it like they're on task, they're ready to go. You know, I just, I find that Megan, are you, are you, do you feel that that way too? I see you shaking your head.
5: Yeah, I actually was gonna say almost the same thing. Is that when um, when the unit is really well designed, like it covers the standards, and it's not like it's not like you're stuck in the day to day planning and like worrying more about like what am I gonna do every day because there's a there's an overarching goal. Um, and actually, James's example was so good because the math teacher at my school just did a project where um, the students were designing a new cereal box and trying to decide what would be the best shape for the new cereal box, and they were using that whole design thinking process of ideating and coming up with ideas and testing and you know it was it was just a very nice nice example of the getting at math standards and actually find that the common core standards the Aero standards like the WIDA standards that we're using like there's there are a lot of skill based standards like they're not so much like fact-based standards like when I was a kid and like because the standards are broad and you know, get at things like, are you communicating effect effectively? Like, can you argue? Can you explain? Like those those standards can all be covered quite easily in project-based learning units. And you don't have to get stuck in like, I'm mean, gonna teach a whole big thing about the Renaissance. And like I have to talk to the students about Michelangelo and and Da Vinci and XYZ person, because that's just not in the standards anymore. Mm, I love that. what I love about that, Megan, is like it's
3: literal, the, the example that you gave is like literally thinking outside of the box. Um, And not to put too fine of a point on it, but, you know, we talk all the time about we need students to be creative thinkers. We want students who are innovators. We need folks coming up through society who are offering different solutions, and that's getting at it. You know, and again, it's inside of an authentic opportunity to do so. So I feel like if your school is giving a lot of lip service to, we want change makers, we want innovators, they have to be able to practice and rehearse that multiple times in order to gain confidence and really seeing themselves. Um, I think uh, you know as creative thinkers. I, I you know it's it's 2021, and it maybe isn't surprising how often you know you're talking to folks or even young learners who will say, "Oh, you know, I'm I'm just not really that creative." And I always wonder when I hear that, that's not necessarily on you. How many opportunities did you have? Uh, to, to get in the game and to try out those skills.
2: No, I love that. And I love like, um, as, as we continue on, you know, I, I, all of this I think is aligning to our, to our last question and with James and, you know, here, I know here in the Pacific Northwest, James, you were talking in Minnesota and I know globally, even in the international schools that we're working with, the idea of UDL or universal design for learning is becoming a huge push uh, in our classrooms, in our schools, as we're thinking about how we're in designing instruction. We keep coming back to this, right? We've got to be instructional designers. James, can you talk a little bit with the work that you're doing over at the Buck Institute and PBL works, just like where, where do we see this alignment or is this part of the reason why you think we're seeing uh, project-based learning coming back is because it aligns so well with UDL. What are you seeing with that alignment?
0: Yeah, I, I, I think alignment is exactly the word that I would use, and, and I think that they are they are different in some ways. Like for example, UDL is an instructional design approach, while PDL is really a method, a pedagogical method. So there's some differences there, but when you really look at the two, the crossover. Um, is very apparent, and I think that when, when you have a conversation about one, you can't help but have a conversation about the other. And I'm going to give you a couple of examples of what I mean. So, for example, both of them are proven to be uh, much more effective, are, are, are proven to be, when done well, incredibly effective in increasing access to learning for all students in the classroom. Um, there are things, you know, they, they come from a place of, of choice, a place of, um, of looking at the students' Uh, the student uh, through an asset based lens as um, bringing in uh, the idea of creating pathways that students can kind of follow um, and have some, and have a little bit more control or a little bit more um, autonomy in a classroom, which lends them to uh, being able to find ways to better um, demonstrate their knowledge or, you know, create, find, you know, create knowledge and demonstrate their understanding through these different kind of more, um, a, a wider lens or, or playing field. Um, another thing that I would say about the two of them is that they both, uh, the whole purpose of them, and, and this is something that uh, PBL Works feels very strongly about, and I'll bet you a lot of the people in, this, in our conversation here probably agree with it, is that PBL is, project-based learning is good for all students. It's not something you just do with the students who are your high achievers. It's not something that you just use for the students in the middle. Project-based learning works for all students, and there's plenty of research out there, some actually very recent research, which maybe we can put into the show notes that just came out of the the um, the Lucas uh, Lucas educational research mm. that, that shows that PBL works for all students, and it works well, and they have data to prove it now. That's really exciting to look at, and we'll definitely make sure that we give you that link so people can look at it and really dive into it. But I think the big kind of, the, if I was going to sum the whole thing up, there are three parts. Um, in, in universal design for learning, there are three things you look at. You look at the what of learning, which are the facts that students are trying to learn, the knowledge they're trying to acquire. You have to consider the how of learning, which are the strategies, the ways that you're doing it. And then you also, maybe most importantly, kind of going back to some other things we talked about, you talk about the why of learning, which is creating that need to know, that curiosity that really invites the students into this process uh, and engages them and keeps them interested and engaged. And I think that those three things, are considered in every single PDL project that is designed. You have to know exactly what are you trying to get the kids to to learn? How are they going to learn it? And you got to show them why they should be curious and interested so that they stay engaged. And so for me, they really do overlap in just so many ways. Um, and, And I'm sure that, you know, like I think that's why they're both kind of keep coming back up in these same conversations more and more and more.
2: Yeah, I agree with you. And I, and I think, you know, we're, I mean, just, I find that they align so well. And usually you can start, I mean, I've just noticed with teachers, I can start designing a like project-based learning approach. And then we go look at UDL and it's like, well, we just did it. Or you start with UDL. And by the time you get done planning a UDL unit, you're like, well, it's already halfway to project-based learning. Like It's just like there's so much alignment with the way that it's structured, giving kids ownership, um, making sure there's a reason that kids know why they're learning something or that big why question that I think a lot of times we, we miss as well. Uh, it's just, it's so fun when, when teachers have like that light bulb moment of like, oh my gosh, this is, we're doing it. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not as big of a stretch sometimes as I think it gets that we feel like it is Tricia.
3: Well, I wonder too, if it's, you know, the alignment that they both have in terms of valuing the humanity of the mm-hmm. learner, you know, it's not necessarily about dragging child through, uh, you know school, like, you know, that idea of I've got to get through this, the students right. have got to get through this, um, you know, rather than it, both of them are thinking about this idea of collaboration with and for.
2: Mm.
3: Uh, and I, I love James that you pointed out that idea of it's not this deficit mindset, it is about, you know, seeing capacity, seeing potential, recognizing that it's there and providing opportunities for it to come to life.
2: I love that. That's awesome. Um, We did have um, one person, Stacy, who couldn't make it uh, because of time zone issues and stuff. Trisha, do you want to talk a little bit about this while I get this set up?
3: Sure. Yeah. Uh, so Stacy really wanted to be a part of this uh, panel. And again, talking about UDL, uh, we, we sort of said, uh, we also want you to be a part of it. So what can we do to bring you into the fold? So she really kindly shared this voice memo. Uh, so she sort of agreed to sort of still be the, the leader on the question and, and we'll, we'll respond to her uh, asynchronously. Again, that's just going back to the your students designing cereal boxes, Megan, like we can sort of think about different ways to approach podcasting as well.
1: Hello, my name is Stacey Howard and I'm the head of the primary school at Porto British School in Portugal. So when I was first thinking about what are some of the essential obstacles to be aware of with project-based learning, my initial thought was when I very first started this and I was given such amazing advice from a colleague and a mentor. In fact, she gave me two pieces of advice. The first was let it go and the second was don't sweat the small stuff. So the biggest obstacle for me was when I first started. I was first introduced to project-based learning and it was an entirely new concept to me. Um, I had moved from British education across to my first time being in a PYP IB uh, inquiry-based learning school. And then all of a sudden, on top of all of that, I was given project-based learning, which to me was a minefield. Um, of course, when the children first started, they were fantastic, they have amazing ideas. Off they went with their fan you know what they wanted to learn about. And I was left in a bit of a pickle. I was thinking about standards, I was thinking about learning objectives, I was thinking about data, I was thinking about assessment. and I got myself in a complete muddle with it all and I remember trying to think about how I could tailor-make assessments for each child's learning based on the standards that I had to teach. And I there was one time where this child made this most fantastic project, and there I am trying to get them to add to it um, so that I could assess a specific science standard that had to be given. And it just made myself in a muddle, and it also made the students in a muddle. So one of the biggest obstacles for me was actually letting go um, and letting the children lead the learning. And this colleague came and she helped me to shift the focus from letting go and looking at what was the benefit of project-based learning and letting go of those learning objectives and those standards that I was so sure that I had to teach that I was trying to include in every single child's um, piece of work. And knowing that one size doesn't fit all. Obviously, now I know that, but it was such a steep learning curve. And it's really important that when we're doing project-based learning, that we're actually keeping that in mind. So once I switched the focus and realized that I needed to put a focus on the process of what the child was doing rather than on the project and starting to help them to create formative and summative assessments with creating their own rubrics and their own assessment pieces was just such a powerful tool for me. And I realized that I needed to measure the students' attitudes and their progress rather than the actual attainment. And once I started to do this, and once I started to let go, and once I started to let the children lead that learning, it was just absolutely magical. And watching the children progress through their design their design. Product and watching them tailor make and use their twenty first century skills and their attitudes towards problem solving, it was just um, it was just wonderful to see, and that was what I was missing. So for me, one of the things I would say the obstacles are is letting go and really making sure that you're not worrying about the small stuff, and that you're helping the students to be independent within their learning, rather than trying to have a one-size-fits-all kind of model. And then once you've got that in place, it's brilliant. And that's what I'm working on, you know, at the moment, is trying to incorporate, trying to let students lead that learning. And the outcomes are just incredible. Thank you
2: the thing that i love that uh, stacy points out there is when you get good at making project based learning like when i was when by the time i finished my my time in the classroom i didn't even finish the project like you would start a project i'd have a, this like amazing idea i'd bounce the idea off the kids I wouldn't like, I didn't worry about what the end was going to be because we would co-design it as we were going through the project. Like we didn't, you didn't need to know that it was going to be a video or it was going to be a PowerPoint or what it was you're going to make. Like it, it figured itself out. And I love that. She talks about like one of those hardest things to do is to let go and trust the process. Trust the kids. Don't sweat the small stuff. And the other thing I love that she said, and I find this all the time, especially when I'm working with teachers, is we start with one or two standards. By the time you get done designing project-based learning, you've hit so many standards they don't fit in the little box on the template, you know. And that to me is is like the best part, that aha moment again uh, for teachers.
3: But I'm wondering, you know, again, what she says there—that idea of letting the students lead. It's easy to say it hard to do. And I'm wondering if our panelists have some thoughts on that because the reality is, I think, you know, many of us came up in a system where we didn't necessarily have those opportunities to authentically lead. So sometimes even imagining that is difficult because it's not necessarily within our context. So panelists, I'd love to turn it over to you. Lessons that you have um, in, in terms of genuinely, authentically letting students lead. How do we do that? James
0: I I think one thing that I immediately thought of when hearing you say that Tricia was the last couple of years that we've all experienced as educators I mean if nothing else every single day I feel like and and, and I was I was I have had a couple of different roles I've been working with teachers who are still, you know, navigating this very tricky world of my students may not be learning in the same physical space I occupy. I mean, a year ago, that was the exception rather than the rule. Mm -hmm. And I was, uh, you know, I was this, uh, an instructional coach where every day I would sit, you know, in my home office as we, as a lot of us did and get calls from teachers saying, okay, well, this was what I would do if I was in my, with my students in person. Uh, How do I do this with them all at home? And I think that every, I think that it really led to reflection on this question that I think goes to the heart of what you're talking about, which is this. What do I have to do for my students, but what can I help them to do for themselves? And I think we spent an entire couple of years really rethinking the role of the student as the leader of their own education because we couldn't be there with them. We, we we may be able to connect with them there, you know, we may be able to set them up with a couple of things, but then it was really up to them to do a lot of the stuff that we used to do for them when they were in the space with us. And now I think a lot of that has really been spun on its head. And so I would really um, encourage educators to talk to not just their colleagues and, and people in their own PLN networks, but really reflect on what are the things that you did in order to make sure that students were able to continue learning without you being there to really be the one hold, you know, really being the one who was, um, the center of instruction. You know, I, I think that that's something that we can all kind of, we, we can all probably answer or bring up a couple of strategies, uh, that we added to our toolbox as a result of, of everything that went on.
2: Mm, I love that. Yeah. That's great. Awesome. Uh, Megan. Yeah.
5: Yeah. In response to what Trisha was saying, like, how do I let students lead, Um, I think the key is listening. And so what do I do? I talk less, I listen, I watch the students and then I see like, what are they excited about? And like, what do they really, what are they really motivated by here? And I try to really let them like do that. Like if they have like an idea or they're curious about something or they want to explore something more or they want to create something like I don't squash their dreams and be like, Oh no, you can't do that. Like you're supposed to be doing X, Y, Z. Like, Um, I really try not to put limits on them and to have like very open-ended projects and open-ended products and really give them the opportunity to be creative and to try new medium. And, um, you know, with all the new tech coming out, like there are so many different kinds of applications and things that students can make and do and, and really trying to allow them to be, um, be curious and and tinker and, and be the experts because the students know so much more about stuff than I do. So for me, Um, I let them lead by by just kind of listening and then supporting them and maybe giving them feedback if they ask. But I don't know, if you come in the classroom, I hope you can't find me because that would really mean that I'm letting the students lead. You know, maybe you look around and wonder where's the teacher and I'm over in the corner with some students somewhere or maybe I'm not even in the room, you know?
2: Yeah, it's so good. I love that. Jeff?
4: Yeah, I, I really agree with what you're saying, Megan. And one of the things that I thought about was, with the storyline, we all we, one of our um, principles is what we call the teacher's line, which is the fact that the teacher has designed the whole storyline up front, mm-hmm. so you know where you're going. But a, but a line, this line is flexible, so it can bend and turn and loop in on itself through the lead of the children, but you still know where you're going. So there's a, there's a point where as the teacher, you have to say, okay, we're done with that. We need to go to the next thing. Right. And um, I used to get a lot of um, observers to come in and look at Storyline in my classroom. And what I learned really early on was that I never, ever took those guests aside and said, this is what we're doing. I always said to them, come in, join us ask questions, and then we'll talk about it afterward. Yeah. And when I would go around and talk to university students and pre-service teachers, when I was still in the classroom, I always took kids with me and I had the kids do the presentation because there's no better way to show kids engagement and kids ownership than to give them the lead like that. Yeah. And I think project-based learning encourages that kind of Passion and ownership. I love that.
3: Maybe what it is, you know, Megan, that your point about making sure that we're listening to students is also tying into are they, are we listening for understanding, right? And and are we, are is it just okay? I'm giving you space to speak, but am I valuing what you're what you're sharing? And uh, I, I just think it's something that gets undervalued a little bit. And I I try to come back to this piece of in schools, what's the balance between creativity? And compliance because there's so much in school that's just telling kids to be compliant, compliant, compliant. Um, and I just love that you, that you bring that up. Um, I, I think it's a great thing to constantly be reflecting on in education. What am I doing to listen to learners, um, and to understand what it is that they're sharing. Yeah.
2: It's so good. Uh, thank you all for being here. I know we could all talk about this. Uh, it's definitely our, our passion and, and the way that we can go, uh, but, uh, we're, we're getting on almost, uh, we said, we said we we're going to try to keep this 30 minutes to 40 minutes. Of course, we're almost at an hour now. So that's kind of how it goes. Um uh, but as we get ready to wrap this up, uh, I just like to go around and give you all an opportunity to maybe share a resource or where do you think you want, uh, somebody could get it started. Like, uh, James, I'll start with you. If somebody heads over to PBL works, where, where should, where should a teacher go to get started? I mean, there's so many great resources over there. Where, where, where would you say is, is a starting point for teachers?
0: Oh, man, you're going to make me pick just one. Um, I I think I would direct them to um, our blog. We have a lot of really fantastic articles that cover a huge variety of topics um, that have been written by all, all, all sorts of people, all range of practitioners. Um, and uh, there's a lot of really great knowledge that can be shared there. Can I also, can I shamelessly plug my book that's coming out because I would really love to do that. If that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um I, I'm really excited that um my I'm uh myself and uh, my fantastic co-author George Valenzuela who's an amazing pbl expert and an SEL expert. We are our, our project over COVID was that we wrote a book about how PBL and environmental science are made for each other, much like the way that UDL and PBL work so well together and it's coming out in a couple of weeks and it's being released by ISTE and I would love for people to check it out and no, uh, awesome. send me questions and engage with me about it. Thank you.
2: Awesome. Congratulations. That's great. What a great COVID project, you know, just, just write a book while you're at oh I like that. Uh, Jeff uh, over at storyline.org uh, where, where should, where should a teacher go to get started?
4: You know, it's a pretty simple website because it was built by (laughs) teachers who were in the classroom. (laughs) But what I'll say is that every there's an international storyline organization. We have a conference coming up the end of March, the 25th through the 27th of March in uh, Gothenburg, Sweden. There'll be teachers from 30 different countries around the world. And the theme, James, building on what you just said, the theme is sustainability and resilience. Awesome, and and how storyline teaches that, and um, it's being um, part of a larger Erasmus grant in Europe that is on strategies for teaching children about sustainability and resilience. So um, they can find a link to that conference on the website. Awesome, thank you
2: so much, Megan. How about you? Any resources, places you would like to to maybe? Yeah, I
5: actually want to. I want to plug Grass Tasks. So using a grasp task to plan your project-based learning units, it's goal, um, role, audience, situation, uh, project and/or like product and then um, standards. So like when you're designing your PBL units, you can use the GRASS task to provide an overview of the unit for the students and it really gets them um into the role of like who they're gonna be for the project and thinking about what they have to design and who is it for. And I just um, I really love this Grasp Task Organizer for project-based learning. It's kind of hard to say it, but um, I'll put a link. There's there's tons of, I think it was developed by Wiggins and McTie. Um, I'll put a link to it. So I think for teachers that are thinking about planning and how to deliver uh, the project and how to structure it to students, using this Grasp Task is a really nice overview. Awesome. It is really
3: hard to say, Megan. I was so tempted to be like, say, <laughs> Grasp Task Five times fast. It's a it's a tricky one, Jeff. I'm also just going to give a shout out to educators as resource for PBL because you know, I, as we're wrapping up this hour of conversation, just grabbing a few questions about PBL, sitting down with educators. You know, I took so much away from this conversation. I'm so thankful that Megan, Jeff, and James, um, and Stacey as well, shared their insight. And I just think sometimes the best resource might be one another and making time for for conversation.
2: Yeah, thank you for that. And thank you all for being here. Uh, and thank you. You know, one of the things I love is uh, our sponsors over at Shifting Our Schools and one of our new sponsors, Tract. That's T R A C T. It's a new web based application that is all about project based learning. Uh, you can head over to teach.tract.app. And if you use the code Shifting Schools, you can set up your class. It allows students to create. Uh, their projects and share their projects with authentic audiences globally. Uh, It's got a great, uh, great little interface and they're constantly adding to it. So uh, a shout out to our sponsor as well, who's also uh, building stuff in this project-based world. So uh, thank you all for taking time out of your busy schedules. I appreciate you all so very much. Uh, Keep doing the great work uh, that you are doing and to all of our educators out there, you know, wherever you are in your project-based learning uh, journey, just keep, keep going, take it one step at a time and know there's a, there's a lot of, a lot of people out there to help and, and support you. So thanks everyone.
1: We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Shifting Our Schools. If you found this episode helpful or inspiring, please make sure to subscribe and leave the team a five-star rating. If you want to
0: learn more about the Shifting Schools team or download our free resources, head over to shiftingschools.com to see what's on offer now. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next week for
1: another episode to keep rethinking the shifts our schools need.